Welcome to Episode 2 of Emotipod Series 2, with me, Frances Butt, exploring all sorts of emotional and mental blocks to creativity. In Episode 1, we looked at perfectionism. Now we're going to look at its close cousin, imposter syndrome. Why do so many of us, especially, though certainly not exclusively, women, feel uncomfortable about doing well? It's such a common thing, but why does it happen? Why would someone feel like a fraud, even kind of guilty, when they are praised for their achievements as though there must be some mistake? Why on earth would someone ever feel undeserving of recognition for their qualities, their virtues, their accomplishments? It can happen to the highest of high achievers, to the greatest experts in their fields. But why? Familial, educational and cultural behaviour programming must all play their part. Pride comes before a fall. Don't be arrogant. We often conflate satisfaction with pride and... We're taught to shun feelings of personal pride, particularly in British culture, so that it becomes polite to express self-doubt. When we see people being puffed up and smug and self-satisfied, we do find that unattractive, and we don't want to be like that. So maybe that's another reason we hesitate to celebrate our successes. And these are powerful influences, but maybe there's even more to it than that, and maybe it's worth exploring a little further. Because although it's nice to be reasonably modest, if imposter syndrome gets in the way of creating or kills any of the joy in what you have created, that can't be right, can it? Now, please don't imagine I'm sitting here thinking I have all the answers to imposter syndrome. For one thing, I battle with it constantly myself as I make these podcasts. Who do I think I am? I have no credentials for talking about this stuff. Well, I actually do, but that doesn't change the feeling, does it? What was I even thinking embarking upon this whole podcast thing? Well, one thing I think I have done right is to ask other people about their experiences and opinions on imposter syndrome, because there's bound to be variety, not just one point of view. And it's not necessarily always going to be a huge stumbling block, so let's be clear about that too. But if it does reach the threshold of distress, maybe help can be found, a way to reduce imposter syndrome or at least shunt it over to the side of the road so it's less in the way. And I'll be asking our resident psychotherapist, Lisa Jones, about that later on. But first, what's the experience like? Let's start with digital artist Elizabeth Michelides. I don't know. It's just it's just a lack of self-confidence sometimes, you know. Am I good enough? It's just that question all the time. Yeah. And also within my work, I don't know, it might sound funny, but I'm creating a different kind of music by drawing. I'm using drawing to compose. And sometimes I get those little thoughts at the back of my mind. Oh, what if people think what I'm doing is silly? You know? Oh. I do. I do get those thoughts and I feel I shouldn't feel like that. And I think, again, it probably stems from my musical education where it was very classical. Yes. Yes. What it is. Yeah. Um, yes. There's a lot of, there's, yeah. There's, yeah. Me too. And I, I definitely come from that generation too, where mm-hmm. there seemed to be a lot of judgment about what was and what was not relevant or yes. uh, legitimate yeah. as a decent standard of music or whatever. And now that has been blown apart and there are 
all kinds of colleges and places people can go to learn all different kinds of music that aren't dots <laughs> and classical music. Elizabeth raised two points there. Firstly, she's doing something a little different by composing music using digital visuals. So unlike a centuries-old artistic tradition like painting or poetry, or in her case, classical music, there's that lack of historical recognition that could provide her with more of a sense of validation for what she's doing. Which leads us to the other point, which is that for Elizabeth, her am I good enough might be, at least partly, rooted in that classical-oriented background. I can relate to this, and that background for me included a terrible comparisonitis. I always had a feeling, though no one ever actually said this out loud, that if you're not going to be a Beethoven or a Yehudi Menuhin or Shakespeare or Rembrandt or some other stratospherically gifted person like that, you're somehow never going to quite measure up. It doesn't matter that poor old Ludwig van Beethoven was personally a tortured and lonely man. That's no consolation. While you wouldn't want his life, you might still feel less than when you create something of your own. It can be toxic, that comparison to geniuses thing. But here's singer-songwriter Hannah Rose Platt with a slightly different perspective on imposter syndrome. Oh, it's been such a struggle. And I didn't realise what it I knew what it was, but I, I, I sort of thought that it was over there and I didn't suffer with that. Did it take you by surprise? Yeah, I think it, it manifests for me. I think this is imposter syndrome. I think it falls under the umbrella. I'll have to check. Um, it manifests for me as this real fear of being a nuisance or oh. a burden. Right. Is that, would you say that falls under the umbrella of imposter syndrome? A form of, I would say. Yeah. yeah that's, a good, that's a good way of saying it, because normally people think, um, uh, you think I'm a fraud. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't be here. I'm going to be found out any minute. That's what people normally talk about. Right. I but shouldn't actually, be here. I'm inferior would be my, right. my manifestation. That's a, it. But it's yeah. d- definitely under the umbrella, isn't it? Definitely. definitely. Thanks for sharing that, because it's, it is a slightly different flavour, but the same, definitely the same same ballpark here. Yeah, I'm going to be found. It's I'm going to be found out, or they're doing me a huge favour. But being a nuisance, I get that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't know if it's a, f- a female thing as well. Of, yeah, of being, being apologetic for your apologetic, existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ringing any bells there, ladies? I asked my sister, cellist Tierka Linneman, for her thoughts. Do you think most people are, are troubled by imposter syndrome, or do you imagine there are people who who aren't troubled by it and and feel okay just to? Yeah, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I mean, who are these people? I'd like to meet them. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe on the dragon's den, those kind of people who've, you know, these people who just have the confidence to know that what they've got and what they do is good. Mm. And therefore, it's right to put it out there. Oh, that's great if you if you can get that back. And I'm sure, I'm sure there are people like that, but maybe, you know, on another level, on their personal level, they're not so great and they feel... Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. And we're back with Beethoven there, aren't we? Greater confidence in some spheres of life than in others. But I, I think we tend to, I don't know if it's a British thing, but we tend to judge people who have this lack of self-doubt. Yeah. <laughs> a bit harsh that we that we have a suspicion about that, that there's this um oh probably envious, aren't we? <laughs> well to some extent, absolutely. I certainly, you know, I love the idea of you imagine having no self doubt. Wouldn't that be marvelous? Yes. yes. But there's I have a serious doubt about having no mm. self-doubt because I'm pretty sure it does serve a purpose to some extent. Yes. That you, oh, you're yes. not you're not yeah. complacent. You pay attention to 
you know, other people's opinions. Because if you're just so, mm. you're veering towards an arrogant complacency, aren't you? If you yes. don't have yes. self-doubt. So I'm sure you're, we're veering towards narcissism because, because yeah. you don't, as you say, you, you don't pay attention to other people. Yeah. If you just yeah. think you're the thing. So I'm these the are the kinds the of things that we need to be saying to cheer ourselves up with, with our self-torture. <laughs> At least we're yes. not narcissists. Yes. Yeah. Maybe some of us, are, I don't know. That I think some of that self-doubt and some of that, what becomes imposter syndrome as a problem and, and an impediment starts off as something that maybe isn't such a such a drawback yeah. and has a value somewhere on a low yeah. level. The question of tempering it enough or having a, a balance yeah. of enough. Yeah, of and that. that comes with age and experience, doesn't oh, it? yeah. You know, oh, golly, life is wasted on the young. Yes. <laughs> is, that, is that the expression? <laughs> Mm. If I knew then what I know now, or that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. um, yeah, yeah. But I wonder, you know, as an artist, if you, you know, you go through college and you perfect your art and you learn the skills to do what you do, whether you're yeah. a painter or a musician or yeah. whatever it might be, your doubt comes from your person, not from your skills. Right. I'm going to say, I'm sure that's true, but. No, um, that's, that sounds like there's good sense in there that. Um... You work your way towards your mastering your craft. Yes. And then you find you get in the way. Ooh, we're getting deeper now. I think it's time to bring in psychotherapist Lisa Jones. Oh, imposter syndrome. So we, we start to uh, have success. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we work hard. Mm-hmm. We start to have some success. And then we start to torture ourselves with telling ourselves we shouldn't be having this success or shouldn't mm-hmm. be where we are and that we're going to be found out for being imposters. What a weird mm-hmm. way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Do you have mm-hmm. the um, clinical definition or professional definition of this? I do, oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you. So it is. Here we go. You ready? So it's <laughs> the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. Right. Um, and the term imposter syndrome, it's actually generally it's imposter phenomenon that is more oh. widely used because syndrome is an unbelievably unhelpful oh. label. Yeah. You know, okay. Really, really not helpful. And it was it's psychologists back in 1978 that first coined that phrase of imposter syndrome. So basically that's what it is it's someone's belief that they will be found out that they are not as capable as people think they are so it's not self-doubt it's not fear of failing they're very they're different it's a different thing okay how is it distinct from them then so everybody will experience self-doubt at some stage of course that's yeah it's like oh is this okay am I going to do this well am I all of those things of course that's Mm. you know people would experience fear at some stage, mm. that might be about classic public speaking. Somebody's got to do a presentation or they're about to do a performance. They're about, you know, putting their work on show in whatever capacity that is. And it's like, oh, my yes. gosh, is it, are they going to like this? Is this going to be awful? Am I going to get negative feedback? Am I going to get criticism? Oh, my gosh, you know, every like performer's nightmare, blooming critique of their performance. We'll talk about those yeah. things another day. Yes, yeah, yes. you know, um, so that's all very typical, right? Very, again, yes. under the quotation marks, normal. And understandable. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Whereas imposter syndrome is very, very much about this deep-rooted belief that they're going to be found out that they're not, and it doesn't matter how deserving they are of that success or that accomplishment or the achievement, the person who has imposter syndrome absolutely believes that they do not deserve it and that they are going to be found out as a fake, as a fraud, 
that they're absolutely not worthy of that success or accolade. So where would that kind of programming have come in to make us have thoughts like that? You know, we've done the work. We've really put the hours in. We're Mm -hmm. giving it our best, doing everything we should be doing. And Mm -hmm. then here comes the success that we deserve. So where would that little voice have come from? What kind of root would it have, really? It's a strange thought, really. Why would we come to that conclusion we shouldn't be there so again it all comes down to feelings of shame so it ties very much very similar to perfectionism but yeah that feeling of shame basically so it's I as a person am not deserving of success because I am basically a a fraud it it very much you could say it's tied into shame it will come from childhood you know somebody's probably been told that they didn't deserve a certain achievement or accomplishment or reward or that something like so it's not about could have done better or anything like that but let's say somebody's achieved something and it might be a comment that oh well I think so and so should have done that their presentation was better than yours for example oh yes right something yes. like that so something yeah. uh, where the young person the child inevitably mm. has been given a message of oh that wasn't good enough that wasn't right that wasn't um, yeah. I shouldn't be achieving or receiving this award or accolade or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you didn't deserve it or you'll never amount to anything. Those kind of awful messages or implied awful yeah. messages. And it's amazing how easily said they are, it seems. Um, yeah, Certainly absolutely. in school, yeah. all the whole well, could do better thing. It's probably true that that child could have done better, but the, the, <laughs> I don't know if that has ever been a successful tool to galvanize a student into oh I must pull my Mm-mm. socks up then <laughs> I can't imagine it being a very good tool for encouraging a student to say could do better no absolutely or it's implying that you know that, that somebody hasn't achieved something off their own back on their own merits their own hard work you know implying that or yeah devaluing what they did do exactly yeah, yeah you can yeah. possibly have achieved that on your own like yeah so those types yes. of messages and of course it just feeds into that Oh, so when somebody is doing something, they are achieving something, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to get found out. I'm a faker. I haven't really been able to do this. It's that really deep-rooted belief that yeah. they are not capable. Yeah. Well, it's not that even they're not capable. It's that they don't deserve they the don't recognition. They don't deserve it. They don't That's, deserve the yeah. recognition and the success. Yeah. Do you think that uh, shame in general, the whole, mm. the whole shame experience, because it's a physiological, emotional Mm-mm. experience shame mm-hmm. so it can apply to all different kinds of scenarios do you see you think that experience of of feeling shame can just sort of attach itself to your success <laughs> to bring up some imposter syndrome when you weren't necessarily given a bad time but you know told that you were no good or whatever yeah absolutely because if somebody has those kind of feelings around shame then inevitably that can show up anywhere Really, it might be that somebody is doing really well or they're achieving something and they, you know, um, and then that shame kind of just rears its head. So shame is a transferable thing which can soak through into all sorts of different contexts. I think shame is going to be a regular underlying theme through this series. If you struggle with persistent shame, please seek help. And I can recommend Lisa, who works online as well as in person. Her link is in the text for this podcast. But now back to Hannah. So how are you? How are you? How are you dealing with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Some days really well. Some days not. Again. I think it's got a lot better since um, 
oddly enough since the pandemic and actually just I think for a lot of people when the pandemic hit they just were forced to sort of face a few things so a few mm. things would come bubbling to the surface because we didn't have those daily distractions and I'm quite curious about things in general <laughs> and I'm really curious about sort of my own mental health and that's the why that's healthy that's so healthy I'm kind of a bit of a nerd about it yeah so why am I doing this to myself yes, yeah totally yeah. so I th- it all started with that question yeah and then you can and I have been in situations that have been quite toxic and abusive in terms of romantic relationships so, so that message in your head yeah this is I was talking to a friend of mine Lisa Jones who's my uh, resident psychotherapist mm. who was talking about these these voices in your head that are telling you you know, you're being a nuisance, you're going to be a nuisance or you're, or you're going to be found out. That's come from somewhere, some yes. experience that you've had or some somebody said something to you that's made you feel that way. And so that is now an inner voice. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah. there for a reason. And now more from Lisa again. God, our thoughts go all over the place, don't they? We can really yeah. do a number on ourselves. <laughs> yeah, we really, really, really can. We really can. You know, and unfortunately, most of our thoughts are unhelpful <laughs> realistically than they are helpful oh well, yeah you know? the cleverest animal on the planet <laughs> yes absolutely it's like oh but we can we can build up our what we call our shame resilience um, right. so to become more resilient to those feelings of shame and that's again through self-love kindness compassion yes and again it's recognizing the thoughts it's recognizing yeah. the thoughts and it's asking the questions so if those feelings or thoughts are coming up but you know, recognizing that and, and asking those questions around, but but, but for, you know, for what reason do yeah. I feel this way? Like, where's that come from? And how helpful is it to have this kind of self talk? What a good question. But even if the answer to that is obvious, if we don't actively ask the question, if we don't engage with our curiosity, how can we have any chance of contemplating the answer, let alone responding usefully to it? And how can we dare to ask the question? without a spirit of kindness towards ourselves. More from Hannah on this. So first of all, I guess, to be kind to yourself about the fact that that's there, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, what's, what, what comes after that curiosity question for you? The curiosity, oh, so it would be, uh, who's this talking? <laughs> yeah. or where does this come from like who is who's yeah you know, that they're, they're, those are the first two questions Great and question. then it's sort of like okay why and then I usually be able to trace it back to specific incident or certain dynamic mm-hmm. and I often do a lot of journaling I don't know if you've read the artist way I think we yes, talked about this before. we did it's a good book people if I can journal about it that will help and I can usually pep talk my way out of it by oh, the right. end of the pages Right. I'm usually being really kind to myself. That's lovely. Good strategy. Yeah. I can it's yeah, it's very powerful actually. Yeah, really good. Really um, good. So that's kind of how I handle it really. Okay. Journaling is um, good. But also asking the questions. Asking Excellent. the questions and then journaling the answer. I like Hannah's technique of asking a question and then writing to see what comes up. I think journaling might become another thread through this series. In the Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, a book that every creative can benefit from. Journaling takes the form of morning pages, where you write a decent couple of stream of consciousness pages first thing in the morning. But journaling of any kind can be fantastically helpful. Moving on to a different point now, it's important to point out that imposter phenomenon isn't necessarily rooted in some message picked up way back. Sometimes other people do actually want to make you feel less than which says something about them, of course. And sometimes they're not doing that, but because you feel like an imposter, you project that onto them. 
And I guess it's important to figure out the difference. So are you burdened by that now? Or do you you have little shadows of it coming over you? You just think, oh, no, I know that one. I don't need to worry about it, actually. Or have you had experiences where somebody has made you feel a bit like, what are you doing here? Oh, loads. Yeah, I'm sure we all have. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure it's sort of, I'm sure sometimes that's actually happening. Mm. And sometimes I'm looking for her. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes it's something you're in, in your yeah. head that you're, project, you're projecting or mm-hmm. sometimes it really is somebody being an asshole. Yeah. 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 And I can usually, to be fair, I can usually tell that pretty quickly and have a good gut response and not care. That's the ticket. Um. So maybe that's the key. Maybe I've just figured it out. Maybe if I'm really stressing about it, it's probably not even true. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, we can bring it on. We can bring these situations on for ourselves by... Mm-hmm. Just thinking them, yeah, for sure. Another thing as well is getting comfortable with just asking for things. Mm. That's been another real sort of way that I've combated that. Yeah. Just, you know, just if it feels uncomfortable, it's going to be. It always makes me remember it. actually that there was, we were, I was at university and we were in a, an English literature lecture and um, Dr. Moran was spouting away and she used a word and this boy, this guy, young man, in the class, he said, sorry, I don't know what that means, this word. And I went, oh, that wow. is so cool mm. that you asked that you didn't know, know what it was. And you just spoke up and said, I don't know what it means. Can you tell me what it means? And it was a word that <laughs> I'm thinking, that's a word that everyone should know. Actually, I don't know what it means either. And it, mm. it's so cool because everything's better for just being open. Yeah. And not too afraid of embarrassment or something. So I thought that was the coolest thing. That is cool. So and so when you, yeah, I don't know about this. Can you help me with this? It's a very cool thing to do, actually. Mm. You're showing a confidence there that is mm. so much better than pretending you know. Mm. Definitely. I think there is definitely, um, I don't know, maybe it comes from my my Liverpool family as well. That, that you know, don't, don't be a nuisance to people. and Really? Get on with things. I'm sure and, that's not uh, um, geographically specific. <laughs> To Liverpool. It's a bit of a northern... I'm, I'm thinking of my northern family, like, you know, you do... Don't be a you nuisance. Do, not, no, that's actually not fair to say that don't be a nuisance, but, you know, you do... I think it's like my, my nana is Catholic, and I think it's mm. sort of seeped into the family throughout like you know you must you must do for others and you mustn't ask for things basically oh, so okay. that's that's not the same thing as being yeah used, I've, actually they I've would got never catholic background as well yeah. so, I'm <laughs> so i know exactly what you're talking about yes. yeah you yeah know, don't be you know put others first person does, don't, yeah don't yeah. elbow your way to the front i mean yeah. asking for someone to explain what a word means isn't elbowing your way to the front of anything is it it's not the same at all but no. actually and being allowed to be who you are to shine yeah, that's not very Catholic, actually, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's really not. <laughs> Hence, the lapsed Catholics everywhere. Yeah, yeah. recovering Catholics. Is how no, you never recover. <laughs> Believe me, you never recover. <laughs> I'm afraid not. It's a blood group. Spike Milligan said it was anyway. Oh, yes. There's that little cultural programming there that don't get above yourself, don't be self-important, designed to scare the bejesus out of you to make you feel nervous of having success and feel guilty when you do. Way to go, Catholicism. So, now on to the help section. Lisa. And what can I do to change it? How can I be more loving and accepting of myself? Um, And also, what needs to change or what needs to happen for me to start believing that maybe I am deserving of this. And if somebody's really crippled with imposter syndrome, then I would absolutely recommend going to speak to a specialist. Um, right. To have that outside 
uh, perspective and somebody that can use yes. different kind of yes. you know therapeutic techniques to help somebody yeah but on a day-to-day basis you know I think really the key for all of these things for all of us is to just check in with our thoughts pay yeah. attention you know write them down and not just notice the unhelpful ones it's also really important to recognize the really helpful <laughs> thoughts Absolutely. as well so when Absolutely. do we feel good when do we feel deserving when, yeah. when you know and recognizing that as well yeah really good uh, and also just to recognize that you have put the work in exactly yeah. and what's the worst that will happen if I do give myself permission to enjoy this you know what's yes, the worst yeah. that would happen if I do allow myself to celebrate this and you know enjoy that feeling enjoy the moment yeah and what might help with enjoying the moment enjoying that feeling here's music producer Amos Childs up to the point where someone's worked on it with me or done a vocal on it then I am very liable to just get rid of stuff or delete things or you know whatever but I started doing music when I was really young Mm. so it's always been a kind of social thing for me Mm. and a lot of what I do has been producing something for someone else to be the kind of main point of focus on so in a way what I've done has always been kind of a step back from being the main focus of the music, most most of the time anyway. And because there's almost always been like a kind of sociable aspect to it, I think the fact that even if I make something that I might feel unsure about or I might not be very happy with something, but then if someone does a really good vocal on it or say an instrumentalist plays on it, it kind of just completely changes my perception of it and I'm forced to go well you kind of have to put it out there and you have to be happy with it because they've done something so good on it now and if I let my own neuroses kind of get the best of me then I'm actually blocking something really good that someone else oh that is nice so I think I think that's been a good sort of vehicle for not it not really getting out of control Mm. Yeah, that's always been a good way of kind of getting around it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel really lucky because I genuinely feel like the people that I'm able to work with are some of the best people that are doing it. There's a few people that I would love to work with still, but I've been really lucky. And mm. I, I honest, I know it's like cheesy and stuff, but I honestly think like a lot of people I know and a lot of my friends are like doing the best stuff around. So yeah been been lucky in that regard. You can just hear that genuine gratitude and appreciation for other people's greatness and the healthy focus on their contributions. I loved hearing that. And those other contributors, the vocalists and instrumentalists, would they be working with Amos if they thought he was some kind of imposter? I doubt it. And he sounds realistic. His misgivings about his own work might not disappear altogether, but it sounded like by keeping his attention on all the good stuff and being busy enjoying the social side of collaborative creativity, Amos successfully dials down his self-doubt. Finally, I'd like to introduce the delightful silversmith, Katie Bird. In terms of imposter syndrome... Yes. Particularly as a jeweller... Yes. Do you get it a lot? I used to when I first started because I had no formal training, so... I'd literally learned everything from YouTube or watching other people's videos. Mm. So it was just like, yeah, I can do that. So, you know, you'd give it a go if it went wrong, which usually did a few times and you'd just melt it down and start again. So, 
yeah. So to begin with, it was just like, I'm not a proper jeweler. But now I have to just remind myself that I actually am. <laughs> and that's my job. So, yeah. You got your own silver stamp. Yeah. Got own, yeah. Got my own hallmark. And, there you yeah. Go. So, and now you've got a big fair coming up at Chelsea. In yes. May. I have. And it was, it was like, oh my God, it's a big outlay. And you kind of have a fleeting moment of, it's going to be all other jewellers. Am I good enough? You know, are my products good enough? You know, are my techniques good enough? But of course they are because they sell. And, mm. you know, I've got as much right to be there as anybody of else. Of course you have. So how do you talk yourself through that panicky phase of they're going to be proper jewellers? <laughs> well, it's literally a case of like thinking it through and then reminding myself how far I've come since I started and where I am now and there are certain things that I still can't do but that's fine because I haven't learned how to do them yet but it's a constant learning curve all the time but what I can do now I'm really good at so it's just reminding myself every single time of your successes yeah yeah Yeah. so building on your success has got to be a big part of that that you have yeah you have sold work sold work to me your work is beautiful thank you very much (laughs) plug Birdsmith yes. Jewellers. I am available for commissions. <laughs> <laughs> and customers keep coming back as well, like you and quite a few mm. other people. So right. I must be doing something right. They're not just doing it to um, keep me going and being nice, I hope, yeah. anyway. So, yeah, yeah. You've, got, you've got proof. Yes. That helps. I think so. <laughs> and well, there you go. If you have the proof of achievements, please don't dishonour them by forgetting to acknowledge them. Many people say this, and it may sound trite, but it's true. No matter how far you may have to go, remember how far you've come. Imposter phenomenon is an extremely common phenomenon. If you feel it, you're perfectly normal, you're not alone. But if you find it or any other thinking patterns crippling, please do seek professional help. But finally, if you do suffer terribly with imposter syndrome, I found this cheeky quote from writer and critic Robert Hughes, which might comfort you. The greater the artist, the greater the doubt. Perfect confidence is granted to the less talented as a consolation prize. (laughs) In episode three of Emotipod Creative Blocks, we'll be looking at creative block. It's not just for writers. But until then, keep creating what you love creating because you love it. You need no other reason. (laughs) 